Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the McShin Foundation's award-winning recovery podcast, Get in the Herd. I am your host today, Nathan Mitchell, and we are sitting over here with our producer slash occasional host slash guru of all things audiovisual and or sound and light, uh, Justin, Justin B., I won't even try to say it because I say it wrong all the time. It's Bognar. Yeah, I want to say Bognar. Everybody just, wants to you know, say Bognar. Bognar. You know, it, uh, it's, it rhymes with Wagner in my head. No, at least, at least you're not saying Boinger. I got Boinger. that once. Yeah? Oof. Yeah, great. Well, today, Justin and I have, as a special guest, um, a friend of mine. And for some reason, Jacqueline, I thought you were in St. Louis up until just about an hour ago. Yeah, and so no, I, yeah I moved here. Yeah. yeah well, there you go, right? <laughs> we have a friend of mine from uh from 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 a few for well, about a year now we've known each other, right? Mm -hmm. And we just met in person and mobilized. Our special guest today is Jacqueline Brown. Hi. And I'm going to let Jacqueline introduce herself because I know there's a lot of changes going on and we're sort of like in between situations and going things and I I love this. This space I'm so familiar with and I'm excited for you. What's going on, Jacqueline? You want to tell everybody? Yeah. So yesterday was actually my last day in corporate America. Um, I was, I know I'm very excited. Um, I was uh, doing just an IT role. It wasn't anything having to do with advocacy, recovery, anything like that. And um, in my spare time, I was doing, um, you know, work with recovery advocacy project. I um, am the volunteer coordinator for a local syringe service program here in Phoenix, Arizona, which is called Shot in the Dark. Um, and so I've been doing a bunch of things here and there, realizing, hey, I'm really passionate about this. And I thought, well, maybe I could like make it my job. So uh, when we were at Mobilize Recovery, what was that? A month back now? I guess so. Yeah. Um, at the end of our coaching day, I told everyone, I said, I'm going to leave corporate America. I don't have a plan. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to do it because it seems like the right thing to do. So uh, I am officially unemployed right now Un or on entrepreneurial, maybe. I don't know. Well, I, I like that. How about, how about entrepreneurial discovery? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. That sounds less harsh than unemployed. <laughs> There is like 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 the industry that we're both in, right? Well, the industry, I, I hate that word too, actually. Um, but like what we both do, you know, recovery advocacy, we talk about stigma all the time. And we think about all the stigmatizing language. We think of all the stigmatizing, well, actions too, but you know, that 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 other people use and also the language we use ourselves. Like I have I'm learning to be more mindful in the way I say things and making sure that I'm being person first, you know, person-centered in my in my language and my speaking. And so you know, one of the things that I'm so grateful about uh, meeting you, Jacqueline, is because you, of all people, really helped early this year, helped me look at harm reduction as a, a differently than I always did. And so um, would you, for the sake of, hey, Joanna, she's watching, so is Marshall. Hey, Joanna and Marshall, good to see you both. Um, I know, yeah, right, hearts to everybody. I love it. Good to see you. Um, could you perhaps talk about what syringe services and what harm reduction, you know, what it is and what it means and share for us about that, please. Absolutely. So for a syringe service program, pretty much what we do is that we provide clean syringes along with safe injection supplies to people who are still in active use. Um, the goal of this is to help reduce the transmission of HIV, hep C, additionally, we hand out naloxone, we hand out a bunch of safe supplies so that 
people are reducing their risk, reducing their harm. And um, while they are in active use, because in our society, it, it seems like you're either in active use or you're in recovery. And then there's no like, there's that gap there where it seems like people may not help you. So what we're doing is we're meeting people where they are, understanding they're not ready for recovery at this point, or maybe ever. And we're just giving them tools to help them be safe. Um, I think a big misconception is that a lot of people think we're enabling people. And in reality, we aren't. Because if we existed or not, people are still going to use drugs. We didn't exist 15, 20 years ago and people were still doing it. So I think that's a big misconception. I always like to think of harm reduction as unconditional love because we're going to love you no matter what stage of the process you are in. And if we can help you, if we can help save, you know, someone's life, if we can give you naloxone, train you how to use it and you can save someone else's life, then why not do that? Yeah. And Jacqueline, you just hit on something that I came across this morning. Um, I was running a, I was facilitating a group here with our peers, um, you know, and then most of the people were new to recovery um, here in the room. And, and um, this was our, our sort of orientation group, our, the McShin way. And so, you know, basically, you know, I go over the rules and all the things that are on our list of you know, what do's and don'ts while you're here. And I, I love doing this group because it, it, it just helps to, it, it creates buy-in or that's my goal is to create buy-in. You know, it's like, this is why we do this and this is what, you know, what happens. And, you know, I've been around the block a few, you know, for a few years now here, I say, you know, we've seen the things happen. So one of the questions that came up, because I almost always ask this of the group, when I do this group, I always ask, is there anyone here who does not identify as, a, as an addict or, or as an alcoholic, you know, and, and, and I'm using the language of 12-step fellowships, which is a lot more familiar right off the jump for, for a lot of our folks. And, you know, almost always, you know, everybody identifies that way. And then I started saying, okay, well, we understand addiction is a disease. And so we started talking about the disease of addiction. And even within the group of, you know, one of the individuals who identifies as an addict um, sort of got into the, well, yeah, but why can't we just stop, you know? And that was a, you know, that, that moment I realized, <clears throat> well, today, and I've heard that before, you know, it's like, ah, we're still fighting ourselves mentally. You know, I'm still fighting myself. I'm still fighting myself. I'm a person in recovery from a substance use disorder. And every day, you know, I get up and I work on that recovery um, and I fight that stigma. And I think about, you know, what it means to be in recovery, you know, is is recovery for many in recovery, many in recovery. Um, and I, I'm going to probably say something a little controversial, but many in recovery, you know, many people might assume that being in recovery means total abstinence and that's that's an and and of course you know that that goes for you know some people say you're abstinent but also could be on mat mar some people say that you can't be abstinent if you're on that and, and all of those things right so what do you I, I appreciate that you brought that up you know you, you know the stigma but what um what are you doing to 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 really meet people where they're at and what do you suggest for people who may not be comfortable with that you know the shift you helped me shift my thinking and you helped me discover you know I, i'm sorry i'm rambling here but the there was a group where i was talking about um we were talking harm reduction i think we were in a breakout group somewhere at some point and you know i sort of casually made the point that uh, harm reduction was a means to abstinence and you very 
politely, but also directly, you know, sort of altered my, you know, corrected, not corrected my thinking. That's not exactly, but you, you, you instructed, educated me on that thinking. And I, and it, it really was an aha moment for me. I really appreciate that. So, so talk about that. If you would talk about that, what does that mean? What does recovery mean, you know, to you? What is, what is being, uh, what is being a person who meets, uh, clearly I don't quite know much about harm reduction until I have you on and I'm talking too much. Talk about stuff. Um, Cause I, I love this topic because I, I'm such a, I'm so passionate about trying to meet people where they are, like more and more. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sick of seeing my friends die. You know, I mean, it comes right down to it. I had this conversation yesterday with uh, a new a new professional mentor coach, and a professional coach. And, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm getting excited about all the things I'm doing. And it's like, but when it, right, when it comes right down to the end of it, I'm like, I'm sick of seeing the people I love and care about die. And so how can we be better at not allowing people to die? Mm-hmm. And. I think that's a really great point because education, I think, is the number one thing and being open and communicating about it. Because I think there's this, like you mentioned, there's this stigma surrounding um, what is recovery. Like if someone says, you know, I I used to use heroin, but now I I just, you know, I only drink alcohol. Most people would say, well, you're not in recovery because you're not abstinent. However, the way that I view it or a lot of harm reductionists might view it is that if you have decreased whatever um, substance that was making your life chaotic and, and all of that, if you've decreased that in any way and you're in a position where you're making better decisions for yourself in regards to your health, in regards to just anything we consider that a form of recovery because the whole point is I used to be in the frame of mind of you're doing drugs or you're not, and you need to go to rehab or you can't, you know what I mean? MAT, none of that ever crossed my mind. And so I've definitely heard people talk about how someone's on MAT while they're still on methadone. So clearly they're not But again, to go back to the science of it, it is an addiction. It is a disease. So it is something where people don't understand if someone's taking methadone, it's satisfying that craving, but not providing that high. So someone's not, we're not just handing out legal stuff here and they're experiencing that same thing. Your body withdraws and, you know, as you would, you probably understand the withdrawal piece is so huge. So I think harm reduction is about, you know, lessening the um, bad consequences, so to speak. Is it something where someone can get to complete abstinence through harm reduction? Sure. And that's great. But is it something where maybe abstinent or their version of recovery is I used to use five times a week. I only use one time a week. I use safe supplies. I use a small amount at the end. Then that's fine. If you can still live your life and you're safe and all of that, then who am I to judge how you should live your life? You know, my idea of what recovery is, is not the same as yours. So I I think it's just more so an acceptance of the fact that we're allowed to define recovery as we want to define it. It shouldn't have to be one set standard. Yeah. And and for a lot of people, you know, I'm I'm never going to discount the 12 step model because, you know, that's my primary focus on recovery. Um, But a lot of people, you know, 
a lot of people find recovery through a 12-step model. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get really turned off. This is a conversation I've been having a lot about MAT, MAR. Um, when I say, you know, med- I'm sorry for anybody who's listening, um, medicated assistant treatment slash medicated assisted uh, recovery. It's the same thing, just two different two different word wordings, right? Um, I'm gonna say it is the same thing, right? Yeah. MAT slash MAR, same thing. I'm asking you actually, Jacqueline, because I realize maybe, maybe, is there a difference in the two? I don't think so. Honestly, I, this is the first time I've heard MAR. Maybe oh, you made it up. No, I no, no. <laughs> I'm sure I heard that uh, in some SAMHSA meeting somewhere. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you if you if you dig into like SAMHSA, like they're pretty progressive in thinking, but like on the top level, eh, you know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, so so you know we we get a lot of pushback, and I think it turns people off to think you know some of the some of the accepted responses to addiction, you know, and, and by accepted I mean the clinical responses of, of of by you know doctors actually prescribing uh suboxone or methadone um and, or or even even vivitrol. You know, I, I heard somebody badmouth vivitrol the other day and it was and, and in my head I'm thinking that is the most one of the most dangerous things I've heard out of the long t- long uh, uh, a person with long-term recovery ever. Are you kidding me? You're telling a newcomer don't use vivitrol, you're not clean? That's insane to me. And so so when I hear about what you're doing and what I hear about other people doing, and then I look at what was just happening in Canada, you know, a couple of days ago, they were talking, I think it was in, was it Vancouver, Ottawa? I forget. But uh, medication for opioid disorder, that's that one's good right there, Tanya. Um, when I look at that, I'm like, there's there's a real push of recognizing that the disease of addiction is not going to go away by putting people in jail or by continuing to blame, you know, and shame people into recovery. And so if we can make the supply safer, if we can continue to help people and meet them where they are, well, then there's a chance that, you know, that, that, that we can survive this thing. So I'm rambling a lot about this because I'm so, so intrigued about what's next, right? You know, I'm a person who believes, I'm a person, this is Nathan, this is not McShin, but I'm a person who believes that, that we should work towards a Portugal model. I think that's actually a pretty much a John thing too, which is to say we decriminalize, maybe even legalize so that we can create a safer supply, but also get people into, people who need recovery into recovery, not just a one, you know, one size fits all we know doesn't work, you know, get people into recovery. So when we can do that, you know, um, getting the, the, the criminal, I want to say justice, but criminal injustice system out of it, right? You know, getting the criminal justice system out of the picture and getting, you know, the public health care um, um, response to the crisis. And this seems like to be one of the most ethical ground, uh, grassroots, you know, right boots on the ground responses to this thing. And I'm so grateful to be in spaces where I get to learn this. So all that said, you can probably clarify anything that I just said, but I, I really want to know Jacqueline, because I know you got so much going on in your life and I've, I read your resume, I read your bio and I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, what got you to this place today? What got you to do this work? Why are you here? So uh, this really began because my brother was someone who suffered from substance use disorder. In 2010, he was involved in a car accident and he was ejected from his vehicle. He was in a wheelchair for a couple of months. And so while he was in the wheelchair, they gave him a bunch of oxycodone. And as you know, with oxycodone, 
I mean, I, that seems to be just a common story for a lot of people. Some injury, something happens. And then once the prescription runs out, you know, he moved on to heroin. And, you know, there were periods where, you know, he went into recovery. Um, there, were, there were times where, you know, he would try to do it on his own. He would try to get Suboxone like on the street. And he's like, oh, I, I know how to do this. And it, it almost like from my point of view, it was like, I don't know about this. You do. So I'm just going to kind of follow your lead on this. But there was a point where, you know, I've watched intervention. I thought, you know what? Let's do intervention. You know, it, it, look at look at all these great outcomes. That was the stupidest thing we could have done because it turned into the biggest mess ever. And honestly, it was the first time that I truly felt like, wow, like this really has this power this disease has this power that I can't even comprehend. So we kept thinking, you need to go to rehab, you need to go to rehab, you need to go to rehab. That's that tunnel vision. Because even when you Googled it, because that's just the what, you know, what I don't know how to do something. Let me Google it. Everything is focused on rehab. Everything's focused on detox. So the idea of MAT, harm reduction, that didn't show up in my search results. So it's um it, it was also something too, especially as a family where we didn't necessarily talk about it openly because of that stigma. We didn't want anyone to judge my brother, Mark. We didn't want anyone to judge us and think like, oh, you guys clearly failed as a family, you know? So, um, and there were periods off and on. And then eventually on November 16th, 2018, he passed away of a heroin overdose. And from what I know, he had been abstinent for maybe a few weeks a month and it's something where you know he could have just used his normal dose and it, it just didn't you know it wasn't good and that completely devastated me because then additionally on social media I gotta love social media just seeing people's speculation as to what exactly happened because you know it's not something you really want to blast out there and to see people speculating, you know, what happened, someone saying, you know, was it another overdose? You know, it was, it was just very diminishing of who he was. So I got pissed and I thought, you know, I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think of us. I don't care about this because truly the worst thing has happened. So I'm going to start talking about this. And uh, I originally got involved with Shatterproof and I became an ambassador because they're very focused on stigma. And uh, I had, that was uh, the way I actually kind of um, did my first, I guess, um, speech, so to say, is um, was his eulogy. And that's where I was very open. I talked about his life. I talked about his accident, what led to everything and what he struggled with, because along with that, there was... PTSD, depression, anxiety, you know, it's people don't realize the comorbidity that occurs with uh, substance use. So, um, you know, that was my first time I was open about it. But if you had not attended the funeral, I didn't say anything on social media. I felt this is too much right now. I can't really, you know, discuss this. And then finally, I thought, you know, I can't keep this in forever. I was just kind of like thinking in my head, how am I going to, how am I going to say this to people? How am I going to talk about this? And a part of me also, we were waiting on the um, autopsy report as if we were going to like get different news, you know, maybe it, maybe it wasn't what we thought. Maybe it's something different. 
And, you know, sure enough, it was acute heroin toxicity. So, okay, well, how do we talk about this? And I decided to just post my eulogy online. And I said, this is what it is. This is probably the best thing I've ever written. Um, and just so you know, I'm going to keep speaking out about this and I'm probably going to annoy a lot of you. So, um, I, I did blog posts, I did events, um, in honor of my brother. Um, the first event I did was called Mark's mile, just a one mile mark or one mile mark, a one mile walk in honor of Mark. Um, and it was, uh, you know, my goal was to raise $2,000, um, by the time the walk was over, we had raised over $7,000. And then um, later on that year, that November, it was the week before the one-year anniversary of his death. And I was invited to speak at the uh, Los Angeles 5K Shatterproof event to be a speaker and speak on stigma and all of that. And I thought, you know what? This is going to be so cathartic. It's, you know, almost the year, like this is going to be, this is going to be healing and great. And I can't wait to do this. And then I gave this speech when I was done. I felt awful. I felt terrible. I had just been pushing myself constantly um, to be doing something, be to just distract myself from the grief. And, and mind you, I had been going to grief counseling and, and dealing with it there, but I had run myself down so much because I was so focused on defending him and uh, I stopped taking care of myself. So, um, you know, I had to, I had to take a break for a little bit and, um, and then I got an invitation via Shatterproof to go to Mobilize Recovery. And this was in 2020. So it was all online. And I remember thinking, I don't know why I'm being invited to this. Like I'm not in recovery myself. Like I have, I've, I have no experience with this. I don't think I belong. And uh, Lynn, who uh, is at Shatterproof, she's like, you really should join. I was like, okay. So I remember being extremely intimidated because like, you can see the list of people who are attending. You see people's bios. I see CEO, director of this, executive director, all that. And I'm like, I'm an ambassador, you know, I don't even work in this field. I just felt really out of my league. Uh, and the the key point, for, the key moment for me was we went into the Zoom breakout rooms and I was with three other women who uh, are in recovery and they do peer support. I told them, I said, Flat, I don't think I should be here. I, I'm pretty sure like this is not for me. I'm just a family member. My brother died of an overdose. I don't think I need to be here because I'm not in recovery. And one of the people said, but you are in recovery. You're recovering from the loss of your brother and you do belong here. And just that comment alone made me feel like, okay, these are my people. Because truly people who are, you know, who I know personally just my friends growing up, no one's really, no one's gone through what I've gone through. So I felt very isolated and alone. And so to be amongst this community of people who get it, they've lost people, they've lost their siblings, their family members, all of that. It was, uh, it sounds bad, but refreshing to hear that other people have gone through some bad stuff like I did. Um, so, I mean, in this last year, I became really active recover- with recovery advocacy projects. Um, I actually, in May started be, uh, I started as a field organizer. So I help out the Illinois team. 
the Missouri team and the Florida team. And, um, you know, I kind of help facilitate those meetings. I always tell people when they don't know who I am, I'm like, I'm a mini Aaron and Garrett. So I'm just kind of <laughs> helping them out. <laughs> um, but then you come up to mobilize this year where we got to do coaching. And that was something where, you know, I felt very intimidated by that. I'm like, who am I to coach people on public narrative? Like, like, you know, oh, this is this Harvard program and I'm going to teach people how to do Harvard things. I'm like, no, 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 I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm good for this. But again, it's just that doubt. Like I don't belong. I don't belong. But you know, that Saturday morning when we get there at 645, everyone's like all amped up. Like, I don't think I can do this. Like it was refreshing to have everyone else also feel like, I don't think I should be doing this right now. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we all felt really good about what we did that day. And I think, um, I think it was a success and, and there were a lot of wild card variables that day. So I think we adapted really well also. And that truly solidified like, okay, maybe, I, maybe I should do this all the time. Mm -hmm. So here I am. Oh, and then I got involved with Shaw in the Dark at one point. Sorry, I I got involved with Shaw in the Dark at one point. Um, you know, in the middle of COVID, I thought, hey, let me go meet the community in COVID, and uh, I started um, just doing outreach. And then eventually, this past May, I uh, became volunteer coordinator. And in that time frame, I've been able to bring on like. 30, 35 new volunteers, wow. um, a chunk of them work in the healthcare field, which is awesome because I think that's one place where there's a huge stigma, but we've got this little army of nurses that they are all about harm reduction. They are all about helping people at sites. They're like, Hey, is that an abscess? Let me check that out. Just the fact that they want to volunteer their time. And especially with how hard working nurses are, especially in this climate, the fact that they'll still come out and help out is amazing. So I'm just really grateful to have been exposed to so many amazing people. And then on top of that, to volunteer with so many people who are so invested in the health for others, because again, we're an all volunteer, all donation organization. We don't, we're, no one's getting paid for this. It's truly us wanting to just go out there and help who we can. So um, that's a really long way of saying that, uh, <laughs> I do a lot, <laughs> but I love what I do. You know, it's, it's really, um, I, I do this in my brother's honor. One thing he used to always talk about is the golden rule and treating people how you want to be treated. Um, and he used to say, stay golden. And I got that tattooed on my arm and it's just a reminder to me that, you know, treat people how you want. And that's what I'm doing. Um, you, you, you got, I've got goosebumps. I've actually got tears too. And, and, and it, it, it was the, it was the thought of the nurses. I mean, the volunteers, you know, getting that, cause that's a big group of people and, and getting everybody to work on that common, that common vision, you know, that shared vision of, of bringing hope and, and, and just love and compassion, you know, right. No, no judgment, you know, and, and thinking of the, that's an abscess. How can I help treat that? It's like, like that's, yeah, that's, that's really, it's really cool. That's really cool what you've done. I didn't realize you had done all of that. And, and I'm sure Mark would be really honored to, to know you. I'm sure he was honored to know you. Um, 
there was a moment. I'm so glad you brought up Immobilize and the and the you got, you got me teary-eyed, Jacqueline, for real. Um, there was a moment when we were starting out at that 6:45 a.m. thing, you know, on, on that Saturday morning, and and Rosie brought us onto the circle, and I I know like two weeks before I had quit the whole thing. And I said, I don't have time for this. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. And I, I told myself that story and I quit and, and I, I was, I was polite, you know, I was polite in my email, but I'm like, Nope, can't do it. Bye. And Rosie sent me another, a very, very polite, very kind email. Um, very respectful, you know, asking me to reconsider. And I was really grateful for that. And getting to that moment at 6 45 AM, when we sat there, we got in the circle and all of the, doubts and the fears and the, are we good enough? And what I was just hearing you say about like, like, you know, that's, that's, that's me, you know, that's like, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to do this. I'm scared. And, and there was that moment where she had us all take a, a half a piece of paper and either write or draw that, that thing in the back of our head, that voice, that monster, I forget. She called hers Ernie, Eddie, Steve, Oh, I forget what she called it. She had a name for it, and I can picture it though. And I, I drew mine, and I put something on there. And hey, funny enough, mine looked like Elvis. I don't know why, but my picture looked like Elvis. But we folded it up, we put it in a box, and we locked that box. And and it was it was very symbolic, but it was very it was um it was very cleansing because even you know even at the end you know we we got that back like it was one of those you know we're going to get that back you can have that back you know you don't have to lose that fear because that fear that companion you know there's it does probably do some good things i'm sure a psychologist or psychiatrist somewhere will tell me that it's a good thing somewhere blah 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 blah. i don't know he's just a guy that sits in the back of my my shoulder and tells me i can't do anything um but it was a, a really important moment before we stepped into that role you know and then we got to put ourselves into this position and, and meet all these extraordinary people with very, very powerful sto- stories um, who, you know, will, will are, are, are doing the work that you're doing, you know, or will soon be doing the work or have been doing the work or they're doing the work I'm doing too. I won't, I won't, you know, say I'm not doing anything. So like, that's, that's incredible to, to get to that point. When you made a decision to leave your job. And today is day one of, uh, it's funny, today's a Wednesday too. It's like, are you, like, you know, just sayonara. I picture, I picture you doing it kind of like half-baked style and I can't use the words because the words are too foul, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, 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 you're cool. Uh, uh, I'm out, right? Yeah. That's, I picture you doing that. I'm sure you didn't do it that way. I'm sure it was very, very polite and civil and all the ways we're supposed to do as grown adults. But, um, Without having this this uh, this next step in mind, um, or you know this next action ready to go, what are you doing in the meantime? Are you going to take some time to relax, um, sit by the pool? Um, I see pictures of you doing all kinds of random exercisey type things on Facebook, and I love that. It's so encouraging to be to watch you be you. Um, what are you doing now? Well, that's a great question. Um, So to kind of touch on what you said, though, like fear has stopped me from doing so much in my life. And um, I have been pondering this for months. And I was so afraid that I'm not good enough. I don't think I um, am qualified. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't like, who, who am I? Like I, I have lived experience, but that's it. I have lived experience. You know, I I've gone through 
a lot of stuff. I mean, even outside of what happened with my brother and um, what truly motivated me is I ended up getting a life coach. And I remember kind of balking at the idea of a life coach. I'm like, oh, <laughs> someone's going to teach me how to live. Like, okay. uh, yeah, exactly. How so as someone, yeah. So as someone who had been going to therapy this whole time, the, the great way she described it is therapy, you focus on what the root of a lot of your problems are. You're focusing on, okay, this is why I do these things because this crappy thing happened to me, blah, 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 whatever. Life coaching is saying, okay, you know what you are, you know who you are. How can you optimize and take the best of you and move forward with that in your life towards what you want? My life coach, her name is Maureen. She's amazing. I've only been with her for maybe, maybe six weeks, maybe two months. But right off the bat, she's like, you need to, you need to set a date. You need to set a date and you need to face that fear. And that's your retirement date. And I was like, okay, we're not retiring. Like I still do a job. And she's like, no, you're retiring from corporate America. You need to set a date and you need to have a plan. And I was like, but I don't have a plan. That's the plan. I don't have a plan. She's like, no, plan on the date. And wherever you are at that point is where you're meant to be. And I went, okay. So, um, you know, I had not, I, I knew maybe October, maybe November, maybe I'll go till the end of the year. And then it was like, everyone must come back into the office and we're going to be flexible. So you are here Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm like, that's not flexible. And <laughs> it was the opposite of flexible. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I can go back to the office. I don't know if I can like live this corporate life again because I would truly log on to work. I'd wake up early, log on to work, log off, hop on an advocacy call, hop on another meeting, hop on this. And I could just do it all from home because Zoom is magical. But then the idea of, well, now I have to sit in traffic for 45 minutes and now I have to, like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. And I finally just faced that fear. And a big part of that fear was uh, going to be telling people, um, I don't have a plan. And if uh, you know me, I always have a plan. I have a backup plan to the plan. So this is the opposite of everything that I'm used to. But what I'm realizing is that everything that has been very uncomfortable for me has been very good for me. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to lean into this and we'll see what happens. So I, you know, as I said, I'm a field organizer and I've been doing that just like 10 hours a month. But I told Aaron and Garrett, I was like, yo, I don't have a job. So if you want to load me up, I can uh, do more work. But um, one other thing I do is I do a podcast. It's called Dark and Enlightened, where I talk to people about dark topics that people don't like to talk about. A lot of it was truly based on um, grief because grief is that weird thing that nobody really wants to talk about or knows what to say to it. Um, but then also talking about mental health. I mean, like just the roller coaster of how things go. And I talk to different people about, you know, just health issues, like, you know, health issues can be weird for people to talk about. So um, that's something that's, you know, very much like my passion project. Would I love to monetize and do great things? Sure. But that's not my end game or goal. So um, I've now even thought of, or thought of the idea of creating some sort of 
curriculum or, or, or something, you know, some sort of coaching, like carrying that coaching piece on. Um, because, you know, I, I did talk with Rosie and I was like, Hey, I'm not going to have a job. So <laughs> you know, if, you, if you need a coach, um, and I am actually coaching someone next week, um, who went to mobilize and they wanted to dig a little bit more on, uh, their, their story of self. So it's, I, my husband was like, Oh, I can take PTO and we can spend the day together. And I was like, well, my next free day is November 1st. Is that good for you? <laughs> because like, I'm not doing this. Um, I was hoping to sleep in. I woke up at 5:45. Like all these things that I thought were going to happen and be relaxing. Uh that's just not me, but in November I think I am going to chill out a bit. It will be the 3-year anniversary of my brother's death and usually around that time I'm fundraising. I'm doing something to kind of like push and remind everyone that my brother is still not here, um but he should be remembered and uh what ends up happening is once again, I run myself ragged doing social media and I'm fundraising and oh my God, remember my brother, remember my brother. I'm actually going to honor myself and know that I don't think my brother's going to be pissed that I'm not doing some grand event, but I think just the step in my life um, is in his honor. So I think he'd be okay with that, me taking a little break and um, focusing on me. So there will be some downtime. I'll have to wait a little bit for it, but um, I'm very much in the camp of, I used to uh, focus a lot on, I'm going to prepare for the worst. So when the best happens, I'm like, that's cool. Now my mentality has shifted and I am going to um, prepare for the best. So I'm going to want the best to happen, but then prepare for the worst. So expect the best, prepare for the worst. And just that shift in my mentality has truly, uh, I really believe in the law of attraction. I, I really just little emails I'm getting, hey, would you be interested in this or that? So hmm. who knows? That's a very long way of saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, there's, there's, it sounds like even not knowing what to do, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities there. And, and whether you're, acknowledge it or not it sounds like you're actually taking yourself you know honoring yourself to do to 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 look at these opportunities and and you're taking some of them as they as they come i i also got a lot out of this I got way more out of that um coaching training than i ever expected to right and in fact you know like i said i quit at one point because i'm like i can't do this like I, you know it's just it's in the middle of it's in the middle of recovery month our festival is the next day i'm supposed to i'm like look, looking out the window literally thinking i need to be doing that i need to be doing that i need to be doing that i need to be out there doing this and that and the other and i'm like i don't have and i'm just like all the things and i'm just not paying any attention anyway long-winded story right but when it came down to it i'm i'm currently doing a um a five session uh, transformational leadership training with Michael King and um, David. Um, oh gosh, I forget David's last name. Uh, another guy. I just met him, you know, with his training. So sorry. And the, the sad thing is, is you know, I know Michael King and I know him fairly well, and so we've done a lot of trainings, and I've done. I've co he's coached me a lot, so I know him and his style, and a lot of what he does, I've incorporated into me and in my style because it 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 works for me. Um, I sat down with David yesterday for our first one-on-one -on -one coaching session, and he really got more out of me than I, first of all, more than I ever expected. But he got me to start 
putting goals down, you know, putting dates down. You were saying dates. And and one of those things I said, well, I really, I really, not only did I, we had also just done a whole day uh, the day before, I think it was Monday. Yeah, we did a, a storytelling uh, day. That was the workshop the whole day. And what's funny, I'm totally going tangent on this, but it's funny because we broke out into our little small group and I told a story that I tell all the time, right? Like it's, it's ingrained in my head. It's this, it's the story of Nathan that almost everybody hears at some point and it completely bombed. Like it did not land at all. And I, I started off by talk. I don't know. I added something to it that I'd never talk about. And then at the end, they were all focused on that one point that I never add in there that doesn't really mean anything. And that was the focus. And I was like, oh, Stop thinking about the damn pizza. It has nothing to do with the pizza. And and but anyway, tangent, tangent, tangent. What I did, what what I really loved was that experience, you know, working on the stories, but also seeing and or hearing others, you know, share their stories. You know, I really, really enjoyed what we did in Mobilize. And I'm looking forward to how we take that to the next, you know, to the next Mobilize. But I I said, what can I, how can I make that? My, me, you know, what can I do with that? You know, because he was asking me, what do I want to be doing in two years and five years from now? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. But, but, but I'm also Nathan, you know, I'm 45 and I have other goals. I mean, I have goals, not other goals. I have goals. And, you know, to put goals into action, I need to, well, to make goals happen, I have to put action into it. He said, you know what, what would you like to be doing in, in, a, in two years? And I'm like, well, this, this, this. So, well, how could you do that? What's a step you could take? I said, well, I guess I could. I said, no, what, what could you do? And I was like, well, I, I could actually do a story of self-training, you know, and and put something down and and look at people and and do it here in Virginia, in Richmond, do something small, local, you know, and pick a day. And and he's, he's like, well, when would you like to do that? And I'm like, uh. And of course, I was like, uh, let's do it like late spring, you know. <laughs> I was like, months and months and months. He's like, well, what if? But why do we need to put it out so far? What what can we do? Anyway, so he had me commit and put something down on paper, which is really, really well, a paper on a on a on a laptop, but you know what I mean. You know, write something down. Actually, I think I did write it down. But that's really scary. You know, it's like now I actually have something to look at and say, oh gosh, I have to do this. I mean, or I could look at this and say, oh gosh, I get to do this. Like that's the shift in thinking for me, right? You know, but but I'm I'm scared, but at the same time, I'm like, I enjoyed doing that so much. You know, my next step is to reach out again to Rosie and also to Michael and David and see how I can, you know, um, you know, take from these trainings and and make it, you know, something that'll work for us. And I'm really, really encouraged by that, you know, like getting that feedback from David you know, and, and, and at accountability. So I love what you've got going on. There was so much magic that came from mobilized, came at mobilized, but afterwards, like you, Leanne, who's where is or was watching. I know she's, you know, decided to take off. She's going to be, she's going to have a real culture shock when she takes that North Carolina accent up to Maine. Let me tell you, um, I know Tina Frattis is up here. Um, who else is watching right now? Carly Phillips Summers. Um, I don't know. Did I, do we know Carly? She says, hi, Jacqueline, you're amazing. Um, Joanna Vance says video fundraising. You know, Joanna and her new skill sets, right? She's, she's learning some stuff. Joanna's amazing, right? West Virginia's got it go, going on there. Um, you've got a lot of good stuff, you know, people in your corner. And, and I, I recognize that that fear can be a good motivator, um, you know, when it's, when it's not overwhelming and, you know, Michael King says this thing. He says, you know, emotions are just wisdom indicators. 
And I love that, right? Like that's on, it's on my board. Well, you're not in my office, but if you're in my office behind me, there's a whole list of handwritten quotes that people have said, you know, that I thought really, you know, connected with my brain. And that's the second one from the top, you know, because those, those, those emotions or those, those fears, you know, those are, those are wisdom indicators. Now, what is it that it's telling me? And, you know, I love what you're doing, where you're going with this, that you've got a supportive, uh, other half or other part of you. I don't know if other half, but you know what that means. But the, the encouraging part of what came out of mobilize, um, is that we're staying connected. Like we're continuing to have these conversations and we're building platforms so that we can stay, have these conversations so that we can be better to help serve the next person, which is really to me what this is all about. I love you too, Joanna. Good to see you. She says, I love you guys. Uh, Florida in the house says Tim Perry. All right. All right. Uh, I think I missed Tim said that up there earlier too. I missed that earlier, but, um, you know, reflecting Jacqueline on October, you know, it's October and, you know, I, I was, I was thinking about a lot of things. Yeah, I was thinking it's the change of seasons, right? You know, it's in, and of course I know you're in Arizona, you're in Arizona, right? I don't know why I keep thinking you're in St. Louis, but you're in Arizona and I know the seasons don't change quite the same way they do here. But, you know, it's it's getting cooler here. The sun is definitely casting longer shadows. Um, the leaves, I'm looking out the window, and, and and we're in central Virginia, so it's not as vibrant yet. But the, the leaves are starting to change, and, and there are a lot of trees. It's going to be beautiful in about a week and a half, and then it's going to be just bleh for a few months, you know. And we may get some snow to pretty it up, but for the most part, it's just going to be bleh for, you know, several months. And my mind is already starting to shut down to that. Like I can feel it. I can feel, um, and being in tune with my body more these days and not putting the drugs and the alcohol in me too. Um, you know, there are things that I'm doing like, like, you know, I got back from mobilize and I said, you know what? I don't have as much energy as I used to, you know? And yeah, I'm 45 and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, it's like, I'm not like doing anything to, to, to keep that energy up. And I said, you know, I've got, not one, but two gym memberships. Maybe I'll go use one of them. One of them is free from work. So, but the other one has like an Olympic pool in it and I love to swim. And I said, I'm going to start going back and swimming, you know, and I've made that a routine. Like I've added that in and, and I think of it as, well, I don't even think it, it is. It's a part of my meditation process. You know, I get in that pool and it's not, you know, I, I think about doing more laps than a few weeks ago or whatever like that. But at the same time, I, I really, instead of making it about numbers and, and, and outcomes, it's about what I'm putting into it. You know, I really enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy this experience. If I do 18 laps, okay. If I do 25 laps, fantastic. If I do two laps, I'm going to freaking enjoy this. And I needed that change. And that, that shift comes a lot from Mobilize and the people I met and the things that were said. And, and just that shift, like I have a lot more energy now. Like People around me are probably annoyed that I'm bouncing off the wall. Um, yeah, I've already lost a belt size, you know, sometimes too, depending on, on what I have, what I had for lunch. I've got lunch right here. Um, and, and like, these are the things like in my advocacy, I have to take care of myself. That's self-care. You mentioned that. I know that you've been working out. Do you want to talk about that? Is that a subject? I forgot to send you questions in advance. I'm sorry, 
but I, I don't, I don't like to work that way anyway. I like to have a conversation. Um, but so what's going on with that? Cause I want to talk about that because I love that you do that. It's like the most brave thing in the world. And I'm scared. I'm intimidated when I see that. I'm like, I could never do that. I could never put a picture of myself, you know, like that up there. And then I see you do that. And it like, it like, I like, Oh my God, she's so fierce and powerful and amazing. And I want to do that too. The workout part. Um, what, 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 what's that about? Tell me about that. I love the fearlessness. So a lot of what you said really resonated with the fact that the way I used to work out was um, I need to hit this goal. I need to do, I need to hit this number of miles. I need to stay according to the schedule that I'm doing. And um, initially my you know, it, it was something where initially when I got into working out, it was truly um, for aesthetics. I want to look good in my wedding dress, so I need to lose weight. So my initial motivation was look good because there's going to be like 100 people there. So you need to look great. Okay, great. Then after that, um, it was, well, we want to have a kid and I want to be at a lower weight. So I have a, a better pregnancy. So everything was always for a goal and I've struggled with weight my entire life. It, it, I'm, I will never be a size two. I will never be skinny and that's fine. I've learned to accept that, but it's just this constant thing where I was always, you know, when you go to the doctor growing up, everything's like, well, you could lose weight. You could lose weight. You could lose weight. You could lose weight. So you're constantly thinking, I need to be better. I need to do better. And nothing's ever good enough. And uh, one other aspect, you know, once uh, my brother passed away, because I was really working out, I, I was, we were really focused because, um, you know, originally my husband and I were going to try for a child and then he got laid off of work and he was out of work for about seven months. So like, maybe we don't have a child now, you know, because we don't have the money. And then once he got into a job, it was like, okay, let's try for this again. Let's, let's get back into better shape so I can have a healthy pregnancy. And, um, I went to, but again, the scale wasn't moving. I felt stronger. I was lifting heavier and I, I go to my lady doctor and I go, look, I know that number hasn't moved a lot, but you could feel my abs. Like you can, you, you can check out. I have muscle. I said, and I have, I've, my whole life I've had to justify, yes, I'm trying to make efforts. I, I'm trying to do this. And she's like, yeah, I think you're in a good spot. Yeah. You, you, you could totally try for a kid. And so that day I, I called my husband and I said, like, she gave us the green light. We're good to go. And the next day my brother died. And it was something that to be on this extreme high and then to drop to this extreme low, it was devastating. And of course, fitness took a backseat during the grieving time because I'm like, I can't even get out of bed. So we're not going to go run three miles. No, thank you. And um, as time has evolved, I've really adopted um, my brother's mentality, which is uh, it's more colorful words. But who cares what other people think? Um, so I started to just get very candid about it. And this is who I am. I am struggling with my weight. I struggle to lose weight. I struggled, you know, with motivation. Um, and, you know, I kind of would have these bursts of working out, but I wasn't like I was before, you know, I'm sticking to this schedule. I've hit every day on my calendar. And I thought, I just want to stay in bed. And then I eventually went to a doctor and 
I got uh, diagnosed with PTSD, depression, and anxiety. And I was so excited. I was like, this isn't just grief. Like, I, I have something wrong with me. But it gave me encouragement that, okay, I can take steps now to try and better this. So, you know, I always talk about, I'll do my hashtag, search lean queen. I have no problem talking about, I take Zoloft. And it is the first time that I have truly been allowing myself to feel joy again. So when I feel that happiness, I'm like, you know, I'm going to work out for me. I'm not going to work out because I need to have a child or I need to fit into a wedding dress or I need to do anything. I'm going to do it because I want to feel good and I want to look good. And I'm tired of being, you know, sad girl in bed all the time. Like, let's just take one day at a time. So this past week, I'm sure you saw I was on this rampage of like six days in a row, blah, blah, blah. And I totally tweaked my knee and old Jacqueline would have said, suck it up. You must stick to your schedule. You were, you were going to do five to six days a week. But then I honored myself and I said, why don't you let your knee rest? It's the end of your job. Just sit and enjoy that and just sit in that. And then uh, truly after this call, I'm going to go work out. So it's like allowing yourself to, you know, give yourself that grace of, I don't need to be a machine constantly. And I'm finally doing this for me. I'm not doing this for other people. And, you know, if people want to judge me and, and again, like you said, like here I am in a sports bra and shorts, I'm like, here's my pooch. I don't care. You have it too. I'm sure. Um, it's that mentality from my brother, again, much more colorful language, but I don't care what you think of me. And this is who I am. And I'm going to be true to myself. And I, I think weight is a pretty common thing. A lot of people have struggled with at some point in their life. And, uh, you know, my goal truly for the rest of my life is just to live open and honest. And, you know, um, I may people may think I overshare or I don't really care. You know, I, I for me, so uh, I can look back. That is one good thing about Facebook is the little memories. I'm like, oh, I did do that last year. That was good. You know, it, it, it's something where it's, I've truly made um, social media almost like this online diary of things in my life. And, you know, just to reflect back. And it's, um, I, I think, uh, you know, again, I'm going to go work out today. And if I hurt my knee again, am I going to push myself? Maybe not. But it's just all about making better choices. I mean, just like harm reduction, like maybe don't get fries and more fries. Maybe just, you know, like Red Robin gives you free fries nonstop. Like maybe you don't get the fries. But I'm not going to lie. I still get the free fries as the appetizer and then more fries. I mean, you know, it's fries, but it's uh, I just view things very differently because when you're viewing things in a very much like you can't have this, this is a cheat day. This is when you're um, disciplining yourself and then you just develop this unhealthy relationship with food and fitness. You can't enjoy it. So if I want French fries. I'm going to eat French fries, but I'm not then going to say, and now I'm going to run three extra miles for those fries. No, <laughs> I'm going to watch Netflix and I will watch Grey's Anatomy for the 53rd time. So it, it it's, it's taken me 37 years to get to this self-acceptance stage. 
and I'm glad I'm here, but uh, it, it was a, a lot of mental it, through therapy, honestly, just working through a lot of um, preconceived ideas that I had had and just kind of unwinding that. That's that's awesome, Jacqueline. I I really appreciate it. Um, before before we say goodbye, because it's uh it's it's right around the hour. Isn't that quick? It goes by quick, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, we we've uh, I've really I've really enjoyed this conversation, as you can tell. Um, is there anything you want to add or say uh, before we say goodbye? Um, you know what? I appreciate you giving me. This is the first time I have been interviewed live. Um, and I will say I was terrified that I was going to drop the F-bomb a bunch, but yay for self-restraint. Um, but I I just appreciate like having this conversation with you. Like I know we were just in Vegas for a few days, but it's like I miss seeing you and I miss seeing everyone. And it, it, it's just good to catch up. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll do my uh, shameless plug for my podcast. Dark and Enlightened is everywhere streaming. And uh, if you feel like donating today, look up Shot in the Dark in Arizona. We're all volunteers, all donation. We all appreciate it. So all of our money goes to supplies for our participants. So That's amazing. And, yeah. and um, one thing I, I didn't tell you, I forgot to tell you this, and, and I may have mentioned this before, but, but uh, you know, our biggest audience, our biggest group of people who listen regularly you know because we, we put this through facebook live and, and we're lucky if we get you know 10 views live and then that's okay because there are a lot of people who go back and watch it and I'm, I'm constantly getting messages which is really neat um but our biggest audience we take this right we take the video and the sound we give it to paytel and paytel is an organization that provides content for tablets for individuals who are um incarcerated so yeah so we give this to them for free and then it's provided to individuals uh, i don't know i think i think we're at like 48 or 49 uh jails and prisons i think just in virginia it's 48 48 is it just virginia um i'm not sure honestly yeah, i'm not really sure either this is i mean it's not new that we're doing this it's just new that justin and i are, are starting to get the information about this because it's my favorite thing that we do with the podcast and you know i'm a person in recovery and i found my you know my, my initial steps in recovery through a mcshin pod you know in jail and so you know this was really born out of the jail programs that had to be removed last year and the beginning of this year really during covid when we couldn't get information in and we were able to take this, provide this information and, and hopefully connect with people. And I'm constantly, you know, we're constantly getting people, um, who, 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 who ask all kinds of questions about my personal life and it confuses me. And then I realize, oh yeah, I talked about that on the show. So it's kind of interesting, but it's really, it's a really neat thing that we do with this. And I wish it had been, well, it doesn't matter. I'm glad it was somebody's idea and I'm glad we're doing this. Um, and I'm glad that you got to experience this and be a part of that. And thank you for that. Um, yeah, really Jacqueline Brown, our guest today. And thank you. You, you honored us by sharing uh, about Mark and all the incredible work you've done. And I know that you're going to continue to do. Uh, the podcast is Dark and Enlightened. Is that right? Yeah. Dark and Enlightened. I have yet to listen. I'm going to make it a point to do this because I, I keep seeing the stuff and I'm like, oh, I want to hear that. I want to hear that. But I will make it a point. Um, get in there. Go listen. And uh, we'll help support and see what Jacqueline does next. Um, thanks again to our producer over there, Justin B. 
I'm not going to even say. I've known Justin for three and a half years. I can't say his name. You can't even remember my first name half the time. Dude, I've, lot of, I've done. <laughs> you really can't. <laughs> you got, I would, what's your name? Uh, <laughs> These are, Jacqueline, actually, oh, I got a real quick story before we leave. Jacqueline, when we were at the, did you go to the party? I guess it was Thursday night at Mobilize. There was a reception for the faces of, for Sean's group, the the Nevada group, there was a gala reception thing. Yeah, okay. I think all of us that were there, I mean, if we were a coach, we were invited. But I went to the party, and I didn't end up sitting at the McShin table because I thought we as coaches were all sitting together. And then I was – that wasn't the case. And then my chair had been given up, so I just kind of went and sat with some whole bunch of random people I didn't know, which is fun, actually. I mean, there's a whole lot of fun for that – fun in that for me. But I look over at these people, and I, I – you know, we all do the name thing. And I said – I looked at them, and I'm like, uh, trying to remember. I said, I'm probably not going to remember everybody's name. I've done a lot of memory-destroying substances over the years. And I just kind of turned and I looked, you know, up that way, you know, towards the stage. And then I looked back and there was two women next to me were looking at me horrified. <laughs> and that's when I realized not everybody here is in recovery. <laughs> <laughs> with that, hey, listen, it's been an amazing Wednesday. I appreciate you, Jacqueline. You're great. Uh, good luck with the workout today. Tomorrow we have Moses Wright. With that long-term recovery um, here on the show, and he's he's going to be spitting fire, I know, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. Um, that's it, right? I don't have anything else to talk about, right? That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. That is all she wrote. What a fun day! Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Appreciate you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for watching and listening. Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery, brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. the CEO of the McShen Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery since May 27, 2007. I have not used drugs or alcohol. Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for Get In The Herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, we really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShin. Let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in who can do what. And um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, the podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.